0: everyone welcome to episode seven of the contagious courage podcast i'm your host stephanie matheson and today i have the pleasure of talking with organizer activist social justice warrior and feminist erica fuller thank you so much for joining me today erica Thank you. I'm so excited to be
1: here. This is a wonderful opportunity. Yes,
0: I am excited for this conversation. Um, March is Women's History Month, and I couldn't think of a more perfect person to talk with than you. Yay! (laughs) Um, So you have just a couple things that you've done, um, or are doing. You've managed the Women's Caucus of the Democratic Party of Oregon. Um, You are instrumental in helping organize the first Women's March on Portland back in 2000. 2017. Uh, And I'm just wondering, how did you get started down this path? How did you get into organizing and activism?
1: Yeah, so um, I actually started um, organizing when I was 12. Uh, So, I had a wild imagination when I was a 12-year-old. And uh, one of the things that I was very passionate about was weather and learning about the weather and teaching and educating my classmates about the weather and how it worked. And I wanted to be a tornado chaser next thing you know I had my own weather team and we did that from the beginning of my sixth grade year all the way to the end of my sixth grade year Um, (laughs) that is
0: awesome such a fun story
1: I know it's really it was really I had a wild imagination like I would organize like um, things before I was 12 like I would pretend like I would have my own kindergarten class or my own class Mm -hmm. and I think every child did this but I was like very serious about it I had like uh thinking like 25 students in one class and I wrote down their names and did the check marks and everything it was ridiculous
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great um and so then having that kind of natural organizer um go-getter inside what took you down the social justice path yeah
1: so um, it wasn't until I got into uh, college that I started looking at um, different ways to get involved in the student body. It was the student um, clubs and organizations. So okay. um, basically what I was in charge of was making sure that students had a space where they can use similar um, issues that they care about and Mm -hmm. um, are able to educate the rest of the student body on those different types of issues. And it was amazing. I really enjoyed working with all the clubs and organizations that I got to work Mm -hmm. with. I got to work with Um, the native Americans. I got to work with folks that are students that were engaged in mental health Mm -hmm. and um fighting for the mental health disparities um i got to work with those that were interested in math um it was just wonderful to create to help create a space for students to feel wanted and identified with each other then i um after i got done with i graduated basically from mount hood community college and um then went on to Portland state um, where I got involved in um, the college Democrats there. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got into the whole democratic party and learned about the party politics and different things like that. And So that was um, very interesting as well, too. I was the outreach director for College Democrats for about a couple of months. And then I ran for vice president, uh, the student body, did make it, um, transferred schools to Oregon State University, um, okay. become president of the Oregon State chapter. I revamped the chapter. The chapter was non-existent after a couple of years, and so I just basically um, moved and restarted it up up again.
0: Is that what Um, brought you down to Oregon State?
1: Yep, that's what brought me down to Oregon State. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. And um, after I got to Oregon State, um, I was also involved in student government there as well too. Um I was the Interfaith Task Force Director. So many neat experiences in there. I know. It really it's such a wonderful experience. And while I was at Oregon State I also met um I was um not only was I chapter president for uh, the College of Democrats of Oregon State, but I was also uh, Programs and Development Director for College Democrats of Oregon State Federation, oh, cool. um, which is the whole entire state in itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I would create. I created a whole caucus system um, for um, the CDO. Um, I actually traded that in one night. <laughs> Long night. I was super excited about it, as you can tell, <laughs> and created it in one night and was really like up I took I did an all-nighter for that and yeah it was the first thing that I did not do for like homework or something like that it was <laughs> for creating a caucus system um and so after I got done with that I um also met President Barack Obama during that time and uh that was just amazing to say the least um to meet somebody that is not only charismatic but uh as kind-hearted and as such a servant leader um somebody that I would love to be someday as I if when I run Mm -hmm. um that's it was just amazing and so um after I got done meeting him, I became uh, regional. I, or at that time, I was also specific Pacific regional director for College Democrats of America. Okay. Um, and I, that would include states I would um, represent Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, California, Alaska, and Hawaii. long list of accomplishments (laughs) there's it it really is and I try not to like I and it's kind of like as a person like a woman especially as a black woman Uh I have a problem with sharing all of my accomplishments because society has taught us Mm -hmm. in that way to not That's kind of like greedy we shouldn't be doing that as women and all that stuff so (laughs) absolutely
0: no for sure I feel like so often that like that it wasn't a big deal and like downplay um, so yeah. many awesome things um, that they accomplish.
1: Exactly, yeah. And so it's sort of hard for me to. I'm like, okay, so what else did I do? <laughs> okay, so what else? Did I do? It, 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 and I look at it, and it has been a long thing of accomplishments. Um, so after I became Pacific Regional Director, I then ran. Um, to become uh, the first Oregonian to ever be on the executive board since um, C- uh, College of Democrats of America's inception in 1966. Okay. Um, and a black fem as well, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, I uh, ran to be uh, director of programs um, there. Mm-hmm. And, and one. But sadly, my... Uh, Self-care took um, a back burner, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like organizing always does, and um, I started to get sick. And so I had to step down from programs director. um, Just um, It was December, so not that close. I won in July of 2016, and then in December of 2016, I had to step down. Okay. I did before two thousand and six uh two thousand and sixteen um, came to an end is that I joined not only did I not take care of my self care <laughs> <laughs> but I I end up um creating the women's march. Yeah. That's yeah. So um in two thousand and seventeen um the NAACP had pulled out at that time of the women's mm-hmm. march and they had concerns that the women's march was going to be another white feminist march mm-hmm. that does not um concern uh race mm-hmm. they did not want to talk about race during the uh, march they did not want to uh discuss the inequalities that different um, women were facing. They wanted to just focus on abortion and um, the successes that women have had, but only Mm -hmm. abortion as a a main thing. And so um, me going to school and learning all this new knowledge about what – feminist, what it means to be a feminist especially Mm -hmm. as an intersectional feminist Mm -hmm. um, I spoke out and I said some not nice words but (laughs) 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 Um, I spoke out in a uh, social media page um, on a post on Mm -hmm. my post and um, basically said that this is wrong that white women always do this when it Mm -hmm. comes time to talk for race and when it Mm -hmm. comes time to gather for unity around other women that are not white. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I did after that was that um, at that time, I didn't know that the leadership within the Women's March was changing Mm -hmm. and that a new leader had came above and her name was um, Margaret Jacobson.
0: Okay.
1: and she was an amazing black advocate and organizer um someone that I would strongly uh follow on her i listened to her uh she's starting a podcast herself mm-hmm. um and then um so after i spoke out margaret jacobson margaret jacobson um contacted me. Mm-hmm. And was like, I love what you had to say. That is something that we have, stra- that's something that I'm striving to change now that I'm in session, mm-hmm. now that I'm in um, as lead. And I would love for you to work with me on um the march. Mm-hmm. And so looking back at, you know, everything, I was like, you know what? I could put my health on, you know, the back burn. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let me go and do this real quick. So I joined the Women's March. Um, I did a lot of organizing, making sure that we had um, representatives um, to come and speak because of my connections with uh, the college Dems. Um, And then um, also speaking... To uh, speaking myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a chance to speak myself, which was terrifying at the least. But uh, <laughs> uh, that was a wonderful opportunity that I got to do my. I also got to organize other um, organizations that were in Oregon that I didn't even have a clue about until I did research on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I was a good connector between outreach and organizing and helping to work with the press release and was a spokesperson on the news and mm-hmm. all this stuff that came, <laughs> came to light. And yeah, um, that was remarkable for me, mm-hmm. I would have to say. Mm-hmm. That's what led me to my journey on just being a community organizer and advocate and something that I will always cherish. cherish. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I still remember that, that first um, women's March on Portland very well. uh, Even though I had had foot surgery the day before the March, um, but was very insistent and committed on going. Um, So I pushed myself on a scooter through the March and my dad walked behind me to be my foot guard. Um, but it was a great turnout and, and really awesome. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about intersectional feminism because it, it's something that I think and I know you think is very <laughs> duh, uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, but wh- why, why is that so important? And, and what can white women do um, to better advocate for and support all women?
1: yeah so um just a little history um despite coining the term back in the nineteen eighties uh crenshaw Kimberly Crenshaw, who's the person that coined it mm-hmm. um was first to admit that she's not the first to actually articulate its true meaning mm-hmm. and so like um citing women like the nineteenth century black this and j cooper and um, all the way through the living legend, Angelique Davis, um, the, a prominent political activist, um, we found that intersectionality encompasses more than just the intersections of race and gender, which is what she started with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's now widely used to illustrate an interplay between any kinds of discrimination, whether it's based on gender, race, age, class, socioeconomic status, physical or mental ability, gender or mm-hmm. sexual identity, religion or ethnicity. Um, uh, that's basically what intersectionality um, feminism mm-hmm. really is, is mm-hmm. that we is a- acknowledging that those intersect within each other and they're always they're going to have a different result. Mm-hmm. Because especially here in America, Like I said before, we are a mixing pot of immigrants. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, come from all walks of life, um, from all over this wonderful world. And that's what makes us really unique. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Um, and then is some of that background, is that, uh, part of the reason that the Women's March on Portland changed this year from January,
1: um to
0: march yes so
1: um one of the things that we had talked about is um and it has to do a lot with oregon's history Mm as well um and so oregon's history if you look back at it has a history of racism Mm -hmm. and i don't think many people are aware of that not at all (laughs) at all
0: yeah I teach U.S. history and there are so many kids like we start talking about Oregon and they're like wait what and even adults I'm sure so
1: yeah exactly because it wasn't taught in it wasn't taught in our education like I remember going to I went to school out here in Gresham And it was never taught in our education about Oregon's racist history. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn about Oregon's racist history until I got at Pacific, um, Pacific PSU. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's something that's, we really need to start doing better. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that um, educators, um, especially through the K 12 level, are picking up on that and making sure that we are uh, talking about that history Mm -hmm. Um, because that's very important.
0: Yeah. Can you share a bit about um, some of Oregon's dark racist history Um, for those who are listening who, who aren't aware?
1: Yeah. So um, Oregon's racial makeup has been shaped by three black exclusion laws um, that were, in place during much of the region's early history Mm -hmm. and um, these laws um, all later recited um, largely succeeded in their aim of discouraging free blacks from uh, settling in Oregon early on Mm -hmm. and ensuring that Oregon would develop as primarily white Mm -hmm. and so um, Oregon's small white population had voted on July 5th 1843 to prohibit slavery by incorporating into Oregon's 1843 organic laws a provision of the 1787 Northwest Ordinance. And this ordinance states, uh, and I have it right here uh, <laughs> there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the said territory otherwise than the punishment of crimes whereof the party shall have been duly convicted so basically there should be no slaves or involuntary um, servitude unless they are in jail basically mm-hmm. and the law was amended however on June 26th 1844 by the provisional government's new legislature council headed by Missouri immigrant Peter Burt. Burnett, Burnett, excuse me. Um, as amended, the law prohibits slavery, gave slaveholders a time limit to remove their slaves out of the country and freed slaves that their owners refused to remove them. Um, and so the effect was to legalize slavery in Oregon for three years. Mm-hmm. Moreover, once freed, a former slave cannot stay in Oregon. So a male would have to leave after two years and a female after three. Mm-hmm. And any free black who refused to leave would be subject to lashing, mm-hmm. um, a provision that is known as the Peter Burnett's Lash Law. Um, and Burnett actually later became the first U.S. governor of California.
0: Yeah, thank you for, for sharing some of that um... Yeah. It's it oh. is interesting that we don't talk much about that part of Oregon's past.
1: Oh yeah, very much. And and you know, and it's actually there's recent language um so even though like all around the state Oregon folks participated in sundown policies. Mm-hmm. Um and basically what a sundown policy mean is that they would have to be out of the town by sundown or the, otherwise the KKK would come after them. Mhm. And um, <clears throat> although it was not repealed by voters until 1927 other racist language in the state constitution was removed in 2002. Wow. Yeah. That's
0: I mean and I I mean Oregon is still a predominantly white state yeah um was that how was that for you growing up here as as a woman of color um it
1: was I guess I didn't realize um it was hard for the most part just because I as a black woman lived in the white suburbs Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, besides my family, there was um, no really other Black students. There was like four, we were four families out of the whole entire, um, uh, the whole entire... Uh, community and... Community, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and so I um, I was bullied um, from... I would have to say second grade, so seven-year-old to 18. Wow. Um, And I was bullied by not only white folks because I lived in the white suburbs, but I was bullied by black folks as well because I was considered whitewashed because I Mm -hmm. didn't talk uh, like them with the slang Mm -hmm. or... um, because of where I lived at yeah. as well too. Yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> for the most part, um, it still has been hard. Um, right now, I'm currently unemployed. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been hard to find work at, um, especially since I don't have a degree even though I'm very close to getting my degree and I have all this experience Mm -hmm. working as being program development and community organizing and different things it seems like for me anyway it feels like I've been blacklisted like I can't get a chance Mm -hmm. and so um, it's been hard because we are scattered everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, North, Northeast is where we used to actually really locate at. And that Mm -hmm. brings me back to, again, the history. Um, Vanport uh, was over where North, Northeast, um, Portland mostly area. And uh, Vanport was known as the second largest city in Oregon. Um, it was also known to house 40,000 shipyard workers, which 66,000, uh, uh, were actually blacks. Mm -hmm. And, um, as more blacks began to move into that city due to the housing discrimination that Portland put on, um, the more Portland city council wanted to get rid of the city. And so when, um, They really, they really got what they wanted, but I don't think. Uh, just I guess from what they have done in the past, which is sort of erase this type of history, so like people don't know what Vanport really is or mm-hmm. who, they, who it is and everything like that. That's what kind of stuck out to me um, when reading this, but. Um, It didn't take place until Memorial Day of 1948 when a flood washed away the whole entire town and displaced 18,500 residents, roughly 6,300 Blacks. Um, And this history wasn't told um, through until recently. Wow, yeah. And so... um, By living over in Northeast Portland um, as we know it to be now, justification is happening. Mm -hmm. And so now we're being displaced once again by um, just everyone. Mm -hmm. So like there, we really don't now. It's like we, there was a a group of us that lived over in the Northeast and Northeast Portland and then because the gentrification happening and us being displaced, now we're being sprinkled everywhere. So yeah. like some people are in Gresham, some people are in Southeast, some people are in Northeast. Like it's it's a problem. Yeah. Because um, now it feels like it's like we already don't feel like we belong and now you don't want us to even be together. Right.
0: Yeah. That's so. Super. And I, I want to talk about un- unconscious bias for a minute because I find it super interesting and fascinating to, to talk about. Um, can you break that
1: down a little bit? Sure can. So bias is um, a prejudice in favor of or against one thing, mm-hmm. person or group. And it's compared with another usual, um, usually in a way that's considered to be unfair. So biases may be held by an individual, a group, or institution, and can have negative or positive consequences. So unconscious bias, also known as implicit bias, are social stereotypes about certain groups of people that individuals form outside their own conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. Everyone holds unconscious bias beliefs mm-hmm. about social and identity groups and that's just because of the foundation that this wonderful um, nation was found on mm-hmm. which was white supremacy. Um, and so these biases stem from one tendency to organize social worlds by categorizing. Um, and it's important to note that biases, conscious or unconscious are not limited to ethnicity and race. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think what's a- around the race aspect anyway. Um just mm-hmm. today like we have so many people who are like race isn't an issue anymore. And mm-hmm. you hear that and like when you think of history, I mean we had slavery in North America for 250 <laughs> years. Um you have segregation and Jim Crow laws for another 80-ish years um, mm-hmm. and it, it's only been like, 55 years since yeah. we have made segregation illegal and, and have ended Jim Crow laws and so you compare 55 years to 300 years you know those are just kind of some estimate numbers um, Yeah, but you're having to basically like you don't just erase things no. um, and 55 years is is not that long at all and like everybody I think knows somebody who's 55 years or older and we now have to unlearn 300 years of racism yep um do you have any like how do how do you do that how do you unlearn years and and of unconscious
1: bias? Like, you know, that's a question that I (laughs) I really do ask myself every day. And um, basically, it's being aware, more open-minded, going to those um, classes um, that have those in explicit um, disrupting those uh, times where you're going to those different implicit biases happening Mm -hmm. um, where you're going to see those discriminatory actions happening um, it's really putting yourself out there as a white person and on that platform Mm -hmm. and disrupting those actions those discriminatory actions realizing that you even though as a good white person as you might be have some um implicit bias mm-hmm. you have some unconscious bias that you are going to have to face mm-hmm. and it's not to make you feel bad right that's not what we're trying to do here mm-hmm. no it's to make you knowledgeable and acknowledge what you have is problematic right now I- and
0: yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I, I definitely like you, you can be, I can be a a really kind and good person, but I'm still going to have un- those implicit biases. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the only way to work through them is to acknowledge that they're going, that they're going to be there, that I have them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, putting yourself in in different circumstances and different situations, challenging yourself, um, asking questions and listening, uh, I think is probably the best way, um, to
1: help unlearn some of that. Yes. That's really what's gonna, that's really what's gonna happen in that. And, and that I think also it brings me to why, white feminism again is such a problematic concept that it can't just be about white women it has to be about all women Mm -hmm. in order for this machine to work yeah and that's why intersectionality is such an important part of that
0: yeah absolutely um and that kind of segues perfectly into white privilege um And again, I feel like that's a a term that I and and many others think is, again, I feel like I should come up with a better word, but it's a concept. Uh, But then there are plenty of people who don't think that that's a thing. Um, Can can you explain (laughs) what it is for the people in the back and um, (laughs) like what it is and, and why it's actually
1: a thing? Yes. So, real quick, um, one of the things that I freaking love is um, White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh. Okay. That has um, helped me out tremendously when it comes to explaining what white privilege is. And it's unpacking the what? And it's called Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh.
0: Okay. I want to make sure that people get that. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things is that um, Peggy does is that through, like, work to bring materials from women's studies into the rest of the curriculum, she often noticed um, men's unwillingness to grant they were overprivileged. Mm -hmm. and so even though they may grant women our disadvantage they had a problem uh recognizing that it was uh that they were the ones sort of causing the causing the (laughs) (laughs) so then Thinking through the unacknowledged male privilege as a phenomenon, um, she then realized that since hierarchies in our society are interlocking, they're most likely a phenomenon for white privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she she really thought um, one of the things that I really liked about her and. And I and I will bring in my concept as well too soon um, is that she really thought that whites are careful taught to not recognize white privilege as Miller mm-hmm. taught to not recognize male privilege.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So she began to untutor way to ask what it's like to have white privilege. And she began to um, create this invisible package of earned assets that can count on cashing in each day. And so um one of the things that she ended up doing was um where to go? I just lost my space. Sorry, <laughs> I wrote it down too um <laughs> uh, white privilege is like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions and maps and passports and codes and blank checks and different things like that. Mm -hmm. So describing white privilege makes only new accountable. As, you know, we in women's studies, she says, works to reveal male privilege and ask men to give up some of their power. She writes that whites must do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... To me, um, white privilege is basically—I uh, don't want to say this—the <laughs> idea is like it's as, yeah, white privilege as is as unforeseen, unconscious advantages took a hold, so. White privileges basically, you get things without having to think twice that you're white.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, um, for instance, you it's easier for you to get a job because you are white. Mm-hmm that is one way of um, having an example. Um, And because we look back on the history, if you look back on the history of black folks, it's hard for them to get white jobs or to get jobs here, period, in Portland because of the history that we have, that we weren't supposed to own property, We weren't supposed to hold a job. We weren't even supposed to live there. We didn't like until 1927. Mm -hmm. And so it's that goes to show you just one of the privileges that you have. Right. Um, And it's not to say that we're trying again, we're not trying to make you feel bad. We want you to acknowledge that you have that that opportunity
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that we as a black, as me as a black woman don't have. Right. And what we need you to do is to really uh, call out that bias out that discrimination Mm -hmm. saying how is that person different than me even besides skin color if we weren't if we were the same skin color what would you have against that person
0: right yeah so I think going back to just that being aware and acknowledging those things are so much of that first step um yeah and then um, March 8th is International Women's Day. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning, March is Women's History Month. Uh, how can people best celebrate and support all women?
1: Yay! I'm so <laughs> excited. and so happy you asked. So there's going to be an International Women's Day of Action. Um, that's going to be taking place at the Oregon State Capitol. Um, and it's going to be from nine to one and, uh, a lot of folks are going, it's going to be post, it's hosted by Norel Pro-Choice Oregon and Caesar the No-Drama Llama.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I know, right?
1: And, um, what they are going to be doing is they're going to have a day of advocacy at the state capitol. They're going to be fighting for paid family and medical leave.
0: Love it. Yes, and, and when is that going to be? That's going to be uh, Friday. Friday, okay. So it is on March 8th. Yep. Cool. And then outside of um, an, a specific event like that, do you have any, like, just bits of or pieces of advice um, on what c- people can do on, like, a daily basis?
1: Yeah. So one of the things is get involved in, like, one of your current um, or your recent uh there's so many organizations like small groups now mm-hmm. that um, you can get plugged into and get educated on recent things that are happening. So like now, um, which is National Organization of Women, um, that is a wonderful organization, small uh, small group to get into together with to um, help go and lobby on things on a on on an everyday basis. They'll have lobby days throughout the legislative session and um, you can go and lobby and talk to your your representative and and senator. Um, There is also, um, you can join uh, the DPO Women's Caucus (laughs) (laughs) Um, where we are basically right now, we're working on making sure to um, be as inclusive as possible. In the past, it hasn't always been that way, mm-hmm. and um, that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I applaud this um, this uh, upcoming. Uh, what do you call it? Upcoming session as well. Okay. Is that um, they are not the upcoming session, but the upcoming uh, officers. Thank you. Um, so the officers um, that have came before have really laid a foundation on wanting to make it as intersectional as possible. And so um, I've um, elected to be the first um, Black women chair for the DPO Women's Caucus. And what we've been doing is basically just really uh, undoing those biases and talking about intersectionality and then talking about what we want to do as a caucus and sort of getting some direction Um, Mm -hmm. and working with uh, the DPO as a whole to um make sure that our voices are being heard throughout the democratic process of the party
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and oh no <laughs> i totally forgot. Well, <laughs> the that you asked me,
0: <laughs> well i want to start by saying that's awesome and congratulations thank you um and thank you for sharing that um it was just how people can can best celebrate and support all women. Oh yeah. 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 But you um, gave a a good number of ways um, that people can, can get involved, which is awesome. Um, So before we wrap things up, I have five questions that I like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Yay. Uh, What
1: is your favorite book? My favorite book right now is, uh, The subliminal art of not giving a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That is on my list of books to read. (laughs) And I think that's because um, I am learning how to do self-care and learning that I can't give a fuck about everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, And that perfectly segues into my next question, uh, which might be... A good reminder for yourself. Uh,
1: what do you do for self care? <laughs> yeah. So, um, what I usually do for self care is um, I go take a bath with a CBD bath bomb and listen to a podcast and just relax. Yes. Don't. I love baths too. Don't like, don't. Pay attention to anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have my phone off besides listening to podcasts. And, yeah. yeah.
0: Yes, love it. Um, and it seems like you've done a of traveling to Oregon or traveling um, to different parts of the country. What's your biggest travel necessity.
1: Mm, let's see. My biggest travel necessity would have. To the let's see, um, I would have to say my weight blanket.
0: Oh, love it! I haven't heard that one yet. It's a good one.
1: Yeah, my weight blanket because I I have fibromyalgia and with the fibro fog and um and just sometimes like the pain that i get for fibromyalgia it's really helpful
0: yeah oh, i still need to try one of those um all right well then kind of going back to the beginning here a little bit um other than the weather uh what did you when you were a little kid what did you want to be when you grew up
1: um let's see i wanted to be i wanted to be a lot of things i wanted to be- <laughs> Teacher, I want it to be a tornado chaser, I want it to be a uh oh come on. I just had it too. <laughs> um all the things. All the things. I wanted to be all the
0: things. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I feel like I still want to be all the things, so <laughs> Um, And then the name of this podcast is Contagious Courage. Um, I want to know what makes you feel courageous. What gives you hope for the future?
1: I think listening to our youth is Mm -hmm. going to give us hope. Gives me hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Seeing them organize and fight at the same age as I was. I thought that I was crazy. Like, who or, who organized the weather team at five thirty in the morning as it's a twelve year old. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that and so to see that I am not alone in that that the youth are really the future of t- are going to be our future. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that's what gives me hope for the future. Oh,
0: absolutely, uh, I just got kind of all warm and fuzzy feelings listening to you. <laughs> say that because I, I feel the same way um, well thank you so much for uh taking the time to talk with me today and for sharing so much information um I hope people not only listen to this but listen to it and and take some notes yes <laughs> I'm
1: so happy to be here thank you so much
0: of course all right well hopefully. Um, I I will talk to you and and see you in the near future.
1: All right, all
0: right. Have a good evening.
1: You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Contagious Courage podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please consider leaving a review or taking a screenshot to share on your own social media. It all means so, so much to a newbie podcast like mine. Thank you again for listening and don't forget to tune in next week.